Mark chapter 9, verse 14 to 29. Personal problems, and this evening, little faith. Let's pray. Our Father, we sing praise to your name with all creation as we hear the rain falling on the roof, as you send blessings from heaven. And so we pray that you would send us spiritual blessings, that you would fill us anew with the Holy Spirit, that you would send a spiritual rain on this parched land, on this country, on the hearts of sinners, that you would give them new hearts, removing their hearts of stone and giving them hearts of flesh, even as we hear your word this evening. Amen. So when I use the word little faith, I'm not referring to people who have denied the faith. I'm not referring to people who refuse to believe the gospel. Rather, I'm referring to Christians who have small faith, little faith. So for instance, when they go through a crisis, they become anxious and they try to solve their own problem instead of looking to the Lord and turning to the Lord by faith. And even if they do pray about the matter, immediately after praying, or even while praying, they doubt and they say that the Lord cannot help them, or He will not help them. And they're so, they're so convinced of this that God cannot and will not help them, it won't even help for you to remind them of God's promises. They are convinced that those promises, it's not for them. So how do you help people like that? Or how do you help yourself if you have little faith? Mark 9, verse 14 to 29. And when they came to the disciples, this is Jesus and James and Peter and James and John coming to the other disciples. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd when they saw Jesus, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with him? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he is a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the Spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the crowd, that a crowd <clears throat> came running together, 
He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse. <clears throat> so that most of them said, oh, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand <clears throat> and lifted him up and he rose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. <clears throat> Number one, we can look at the crisis. The crisis, verse 14 to 90. I was an epileptic <clears throat> to the age of 13. And when someone heard this, they said, It's demons. It's a demon. How would you answer the person? Well, some, some of you might agree and say <clears throat> that any person who is deaf or mute, uh, dumb, in other words, can't speak, or an epileptic, or what, <clears throat> what other sickness it might be, or trouble it might be, would say that, well, it's, it's, of course, it's always demons. It's always a demon that causes that this or that illness. And that's not true. It's simply not true. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 4, verse 11, the Lord said to Moses, Who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? And sometimes, <clears throat> demons, he allows them to do so. But in the end, God is sovereign. Others would say that in Jesus' time, in the days of Jesus, people were medically ignorant. Ignorant of what happens in the medical world. So they thought that a sickness like this boy had, being an epileptic, it was demon possession. That's just what they thought in their ignorance. And th th these are the kinds of people, they deny the existence of demons. And they say that there's a medical explanation for everything. But what the authors of the Bible do is... They do often, they show that there's a difference between demon possession and being an epileptic. For instance, in Matthew 4 verse 24, we read of Jesus who healed epileptics and demon-possessed people, <clears throat> making a distinction between the two. And yet, the authors of Scripture, the authors of the New Testament, did believe that demons can cause epilepsy, epileptic fits. <clears throat> and we see this in verse 14 to 19. Now, what Mark does here is he draws a very great contrast between Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration in verse 2 to 13 and the problems here in the valley where the other disciples are, verse 14 to 29. So in the first couple of verses of Mark 9, you see Jesus going up a mountain. He takes with him Peter and James and John. And then he's transfigured before them. His, his clothes become white as lightning and he's uh, face literally shines as bright as the sun and Moses and Elijah appear to him from heaven and there's a cloud that overshadows them and from the cloud comes this booming voice this thunderous voice the voice of God the Father saying this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased listen to him and Peter James and John they are terrified and they lie on their faces 
in fear. And all of a sudden, they look up, and there's no one but Jesus, and he looks quite normal. And that's it. And they come down the mountain. And what Mark now emphasizes, in this text, he tries to show how hopeless the disciples are without Jesus. And how hopeless we are without Jesus, really. And so that's why Jesus now returns down, comes down from the mountain with the three disciples and he returns to the other nine disciples in verse 14. And as he comes down the mountain, there's a great consternation, great problems. He just sees the crowd, he, uh, crowd surrounding the disciples and the scribes arguing with him, because obviously arguing because they couldn't drive out this demon. And when Jesus shows up, everything changes. So the crowds, they are amazed, and they run toward Jesus. They greet Jesus in verse 15, and Jesus says in verse 16, Why are you arguing with the disciples? And then this demon-possessed boy, the father, his father speaks up, and he says in verse 17, Master, I, I brought my disciple, or I brought my son to you, my only son, according to Luke 9, to you, and he's got the spirit that makes him deaf and makes him mute, verse 17 and verse 25. He can't speak, he can't hear. And what the Spirit does is the Spirit yanks him. The Spirit takes a hold of him and he starts screaming. Uh, verse 18 in Luke 9.39. And he slams him against the ground. He tears him to pieces. Verse 18, that's literally what the Greek word means there. <clears throat> and he's ruining this boy and he's, he wounds my son. Luke 9.39. <clears throat> and what happens then, <clears throat> this causes epileptic fits. It's the demon that causes this. And so he foams at the mouth and he gnashes his teeth and he becomes rigid. His muscles become all stiff and he starts shaking and the spirit just won't leave him. Verse 18 and then also Matthew 17 verse 14 and Luke 9.39. Now this, this dad, this father, he knows that Jesus casts out demons. I mean, Mark from chapter 1, Mark 1, a uh, number of times, Mark chapter 3, Mark chapter 5, Mark chapter 7. So again and again, it's become known everywhere. Jesus heals the sick and Jesus can cast out demons. And so he comes to Jesus in the hope that Jesus can help him. Verse 18. And when he didn't find Jesus, so he's searching for him, couldn't find him. And he begs the disciples, says Luke 9 and verse 18. He begs the disciples, please, will you cast out the demon out of my son, the spirit, this unclean spirit. And they hopelessly fail. And Jesus rebukes the Father, He rebukes the disciples, He rebukes the scribes, He rebukes the, the crowds, before He even rebukes the demon. In verse 19, He says, O oh, faithless generation, He's not only talking to the disciples here, generation, that whole generation, they are faithless people. And He calls them an unbelieving generation, <clears throat> and a twisted generation, according to Matthew 17 and Luke 9, 41. And verse 19 here, and it's as if Jesus is saying, how long do I still need to be put up with you people? Verse 19, I've been with you three years, so how, do, how long must I still be here before you'll believe that I'm the Messiah and I'm the Son of God? That's basically the idea here. And to show His love and His compassion and His patience and His power, He gives these people another chance and says, bring the boy to me. Verse 19. 
Now, to apply these verses to ourselves, I think we should measure ourselves against these different groups of people and say, where do you fit in? And how do you fit in? Do you see yourself in the scribes? So you see other people's errors, you see other people's mistakes, and you want to tell them why they are spiritually unsuccessful. This is why you don't have any success, but you yourself don't lift a finger to help people with their spiritual needs and spiritual problems. It's like the story of D.L. Moody. I heard this story. D.L. Moody was an American evangelist in the 1800s. And apparently someone said to him, he criticized D.L. Moody's evangelistic methods. And and Moody said, what methods do you use? And then he found out that the guy doesn't do evangelism at all. And Moody said, well, then I prefer my methods to yours. Not that I'm trying to say wrong methods are acceptable. But I'm trying to say we should not merely talk, we should do. Or do you see yourself in the disciples? You are spiritually impotent. You don't have spiritual power. You are not reaching people for the Lord. And is it perhaps because you pray too little? Is it perhaps because you are depending on your own strength and your own power? Is it perhaps because you have little faith or you have a twisted heart? Like the people in Acts chapter 19, these Jewish exorcists trying, trying to cast out a demon. And they just couldn't. They're powerless. They're depending on their own strength. Do you see yourself in the father of this boy? So you you want to ask Jesus, and you do ask Jesus to help you with a certain problem you have, but you're not really sure can he help you. Do you see see yourself in the crowds? In the crowd. So they're looking for Jesus. And why are they looking for Jesus? Why do they want to see Jesus? It's because what if Jesus... The things Jesus can do for them. And sensation. And not really for who Jesus is. So in other words, you you really enjoy the atmosphere of the church you attend. And you're not really here because you want a relationship with Jesus. You want sensation. Or do you see yourself in the boy? You are under the power of the devil. And you feel hopeless. And you don't know how to get out of this hole you're in, this pit, will come to Jesus. Jesus can help you. Second, the healing. The healing. That is in verse 20 to 27. Some Christians, they, you get the idea that they think Jesus wants to help us at times But then the devil comes and messes up his plans. And then on the other hand, these very same people, often they are arrogant toward the devil, as if they can command the devil to do this or to do that. Now the Bible gives us a balanced picture. The Bible gives us the picture that Satan is very powerful. But it also gives us the picture, Jesus is sovereign over the devil. Jesus has power over Satan and demons. And we see this in these verses. So when the disciples now come and they, they bring this, this boy to Jesus, as he asked them to in verse 20, and immediately this evil spirit recognizes Jesus, like earlier in the book of Mark, in the Gospel of Mark. And for a very last time, he tries to destroy this boy's life And the boy falls on the ground and he becomes rigid again. 
his muscles go into a spasm and he kicks and he screams and he rolls on the ground and he foams at the mouth and we find this from verse 20 and verse 18 and uh, the Greek text there, the Greek word. And Jesus is calm. Jesus remains calm and he very quietly and calmly talks to the Father in verse 21 Uh, And what he's trying to do here is he's trying to show the Father, you do not need to be afraid. I want you to trust me. I want you to understand I am in control of this situation. And then the Father tells him, I think very anxiously probably, tells him that this has been happening to my son since he was a child, since he was a very young boy, a toddler. Verse 21. And what happens, he continues, is this demon, it's... Tried before to throw him many times, throw him into water. He's been thrown into fire because the demon wants to kill him because Satan and his demons. Satan is a murderer from the beginning, Jesus said in John 8 verse 44. And the father then desperately cries out as he he watches the scene, his son getting this fit. And he desperately cries out and he kneels before Jesus according to Luke and Matthew 17 and Luke 9. He kneels before Jesus. He begs Jesus, be merciful to us, be merciful to us. And he asks Jesus, please, please will you help us if you can, verse 22. So he's acknowledging he needs help. But in the same breath... He doubts. He's doubting. Can Jesus really help? And Jesus shows him this. Jesus tells him, you're doubting. Verse 23, if you can, if you can, all things are possible to one who believes. Now, Jesus doesn't mean you must believe in yourself. He doesn't even mean you must believe in your faith. He means you must believe in God's faithfulness, in God's power. You must believe nothing is impossible for God. God will keep His promises. And I think it's in that aspect or in that way we can say everything is possible to one who believes. So to a certain extent, it's not really about how great your faith is. Because even a mustard seed sized faith, that's a very small seed. Even if your faith is as big as a mustard seed, that's sufficient. So it's not about how great your faith is, really, in a certain way it's it's rather about do you trust in God in the one who can do everything in the one that can do the impossible and if you trust in him nothing will be impossible you can say to this mulberry tree uproot yourself and cast yourself or plot yourself in the sea and it will happen and so when the father hears these things he believes and in desperation he cries out I believe I believe help my unbelief verse 24 So in other words, he's asking that Jesus will help him. Help me to believe that you can do the impossible. And as soon as the father cries out, you see the whole crowd rushing together at Jesus like people who are curious when they see an accident on the highway. Everyone wants to see what has happened. And so they they rush to Jesus, verse 25, and when Jesus sees this, he rebukes the demon, he commands the demon to come, come out, this unclean spirit, the spirit that is making the son deaf and mute. And he says, I command you, go out of this boy and never return. So once again, Jesus shows that he has authority over demons, over the supernatural. And this demon screams. And... The fit becomes worse in verse 26. 
convulsing him terribly, it says. And then it comes out. It goes out of the boy as Jesus commanded. Uh, and the idea here, I think, is, is like as if the demon does not want to go out, but he hasn't got a choice. Jesus has commanded him. Jesus is Lord, also over demons. And when everything is passed, this boy lies on the ground, not even moving. It seems like he's not even breathing. And some people start whispering, saying, he's dead. <gasps> he's dead. But it just looks like that. He's not really dead. It's just that his body is now completely relaxed after the demon has gone out. And Jesus takes him by the hand, picks him up, and gives him back to his father. Verse 27 and also Luke 9, verse 42. And the crowd is flabbergasted. The crowd, they are amazed at the majesty of God, according to Luke's gospel. And this very same God also has power over your crisis. Do you believe this? Or asked, are you also unbelieving? Or are you, are you like this father? You have little faith. And if you have little faith, then you need to pray like this dad prayed, like this father prayed. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, increase our faith. Increase my faith. Like the, disciple, like the disciples prayed in Luke 17 verse 5. Remember, everything is possible for one who believes. And remember that the opposite is also true. You will come nowhere. You will get nowhere. If you doubt God's ability and your, you trust in your own ability. Jesus said so, or at least God says so in the book of James. Chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. If you doubt when you pray, you're like a wave of the sea. You rise up, you fall down, you just disappear into oblivion like the foam on the seashore. And that person should not expect that he will receive anything from God. Number three. The lesson. Verse 28 and 29. Now just like you cannot remain satisfied and filled because of the bread you ate last week. You can't live on last week's bread and think, oh, I ate last week, I don't need to eat this week. And in the same way, you cannot remain spiritually strong because you had a good quiet time last week. You must trust the Lord daily. Trust Him daily for new strength. And the disciples didn't. Because Jesus in Mark chapter 6 verse 7, He had already given them the authority to drive out, to cast out demons. Mark 6 verse 7, He called the twelve, began to send them out two by two, and gave them authority over unclean spirits. So He had given them the strength, but they became complacent. They became self-satisfied. And they didn't trust the Lord for new strength. And therefore they could not cast out this demon. They had little faith. And they were prayerless. Verse 29. This kind cannot be driven out by anything but, by anything but prayer. Matthew 17 verse 20. Why could we drive it out? Jesus answers because of your little faith. And even the disciples who weren't with them, the disciples who were on the mountain with Jesus, Peter, James, and John, they didn't pray. They were sleeping instead of praying. According to Luke 9, verse 32, Jesus alone prayed on the mountain, Luke 9, 29. 
And so therefore he could cast out this demon. Now I know Jesus is God. I understand that. But Jesus did these things by the power of the Holy Spirit. He cast out demons by the power of the Spirit. We read in Matthew chapter 12. I believe it's verse 28. And according to Jesus himself, he says this is a certain kind of demon. He says this kind cannot be driven out by anything by but prayer. It cannot be driven out without faith. It cannot be driven out without fasting. It cannot be driven out without prayer. Matthew 21 verse 21 and 22 also says, If you have faith, nothing will be impossible. Anything asked in faith you will receive. So they did not have faith. Matthew 17 verse 20. And so the disciples needed to learn. They needed to nurture a life of prayer. They needed to learn to keep on praying in a situation like this when the demon wouldn't leave after the first prayer, after the first attempt. They needed to keep on praying, keep on praying, keep on praying. And also they needed to learn to fast. Uh, now, this, the ESV doesn't say prayer and fasting. Some manuscripts do. And even if we can't draw it from this passage, we can draw it from Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus fasted for 40 days, and he conquered the attempts of the devil when Satan came and tempted him. Or in Daniel chapter 10, where Daniel fasted for three weeks, and there was a spiritual battle going on. It says toward the end of the chapter, the prince of Persia, the prince of, prince of Greece, and I, your prince, came, and there's spiritual war going on in the heavenly places. So fasting... Uh, Jesus says is important. I think that's why why the late Martin Holt was such had such an effective and such a powerful ministry. He was a man of faith. He was a man of prayer. He was a man who fasted regularly, and that is also why the Lord used him, even in one instance, to cast out a demon uh, from a woman. Now, maybe you know the story, and you say, "I'm not so sure it was a demon." Let me tell you the story. So the hospital calls him. He told us the story himself. The hospital calls him. Uh, one of the nurses, or perhaps the sister, and she says, we've got big trouble here uh, at the hospital. Please, can you come and help us? There's a woman here. She's, she's screaming. She's shouting. And it's been going on, I think, for 40 or 45 minutes. And they say, this is not a medical problem. Something else. There's, there's something drastically wrong here. Please, can you come? So he gets in his car, goes to the hospital. And when he gets there, this woman is screaming and screaming and wrangling and wriggling. And... and uh, he tries to talk to her and she keeps on screaming and eventually after trying and nothing happens, he, sh he at the top of his voice or very loudly, he cries out and he says, quiet, quiet. And then he starts reading passages of scripture, one passage after the, another. And after quite a long time, she calms down and her breathing calms down and she becomes quiet. And then in the end, in a quiet voice, she says to him, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you. Do you want to be like Martin Holt? A powerful instrument in the hands of the Lord? Or better, should I say, do you want to be like Jesus? Well, then you need to devote yourself to prayer. And you also need to learn to fast, especially if you are experiencing a crisis and everything seems hopeless. So make up your mind to say, for 12 hours I'm not going to eat, or for 24 hours, or even for longer, and say to the Lord, Lord, this situation is so desperate. 
that I've decided for a certain period of time I will leave even the necessities of life. I am desperate for your help, Lord. And then you take time through that day, the day you set aside for fasting, different times throughout the day. You keep on just breaking away and spending time in prayer and in the Word of God. And then you seek certain promises. You seek for certain and specific promises that have to do with your crisis. And you start praying about those things. And you believe those promises. And you hold on to those promises. And you remind God of His promises. And you do not rest and give Him no rest until He answers. Isaiah 62 verse 6 and 7. And then you wait on the Lord. And you believe God will answer you if you pray according to His word. And you believe that God is almighty. And God is faithful to help you. And to conquer your little faith, it's also important for you to read the scriptures regularly and to listen closely to the preaching of the word of God. Is it not by the word that faith comes? Faith comes from hearing and what we hear is the word of Christ. Romans 10 verse 17. It is, is it not through the word that your faith grows? Acts chapter 16 verse 5 which speaks of the churches that grew in number and in faith. 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 2. Timothy came and he, he was teaching the Thessalonians to establish them in their faith. And I want to come and make up for the things that are still lacking in your faith. 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 10. But then obviously you need to understand the scriptures. Otherwise you're still going to struggle with little faith. Like the the disciples on the way to Emmaus, the Emmaus disciples. Luke 24 verse 25, where Jesus says to them, you slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. You don't understand these things. And he needed to explain it to them. Open the scriptures and open their minds. You're not going to hold on tight to something you don't really understand what this is. It's like a child who doesn't know what a Krugerrand is. That child's not going to really think this is valuable. And the kid won't hold on tight. He'll play with a coin like, like the... He'll play with it like he plays with a toy. Because he doesn't understand what this is. So you need to get a grip on God's Word. Or should I rather say, God's Word needs to get a grip on you and on me. And if you fill your heart with a Word, and you understand the Word then you will not very, won't be easy for you to be full of doubt and have little faith when the crisis comes. You'll be full of faith. You'll have great faith. And I believe it will also help for us to, to overcome little faith. It will help to keep a journal of God's great works and God's faithfulness in your life. And what you can do then is you can look back on your journal and you can look back what you had written, what's written in your journal... What you wrote in the past, and you'll see, this is how God helped me in the past. You know, it's because we forget the past that we sometimes have little faith. Like the disciples. When Jesus said, they're arguing, Jesus said we didn't bring bread, and now Jesus is angry at us, and Jesus is scolding us for not bringing bread, and Jesus says, oh, you of little faith. Don't you remember? I multiplied the loaves for the 5,000, the crowd, how many baskets were left? And the 4,000, how many baskets left? You don't understand. You don't remember what I did. That's why 
you cannot understand my, understand my words. That's why you have little faith. Because we forget what God did in the past. <coughs> and then above all, if you want to overcome little faith, fix your eyes on Jesus. Because it's when we, when we look away from Jesus and we start looking at our circumstances, we start looking at the trouble around us, that we start becoming afraid and in, in the end we sink. We're like the disciples when Jesus calmed the storm. Oh, you of little faith. You of little faith. Why do they have little faith? Matthew chapter 8. They don't really know who Jesus is. That's one reason. Matthew 8 verse 26. Why are you afraid? You have little faith. You start becoming afraid. In Matthew 14 when Peter says, Jesus, if it's really you, tell me to come out of the boat and walk on the water to you, toward you. And Jesus tells him to do it and he does. And he walks to Jesus. Then he sees the waves and he starts thinking, sinking. And Jesus says, you have little faith. Because you take your eyes off Jesus. So fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your attention, attention on Jesus. Think of his death on the cross. His death on the cross for your sins. Think of it when you take the Lord's table. Think of it when you confess your sins. Think of Jesus when you get up in the morning, when you go to bed at night. Think of Jesus when you share the gospel with someone. Think of Jesus when you pray with your children and you teach them the Bible. Think of Jesus when you see how he has changed a new convert. He's transformed the person's life. Think of Jesus when a believer dies and goes to heaven. Anyone who fills his thoughts, his mind with Jesus will not have little faith. He will have great faith. He will be full of faith like Stephen in Acts 6 verse 5. Full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And from that fullness of faith will flow joy and peace. Romans 15 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. And so on. It cannot, be, it cannot be otherwise, can it? Because you're focusing on Jesus. And therefore you will have joy and peace. It's like when a young bride spends her day thinking about her bridegroom. How can she not have joy? How can she not have peace? Our Father, increase our faith. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we believe. Help our unbelief. Amen.